Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. For the next two weeks, we've, we've, um, we, we ask for... Um, Kel and I do a specific bit of praying over the type of themes that we need to have uh, monthly, and uh, <clears throat> which is wonderful, and, um, and so I'm happy to try and stick with the theme most times. Um, we're going this next two, next three weeks. We're going to talk about bridge building, and um, it's really important that as we come up to Easter, this is really our our time. <clears throat> we're really not directed in the scriptures to. Um, you know, it's the, the, the Easter or the Christmas time is not really our time. The to- our time is Easter. And so it, we're, we're also told, like statistically, there's a very high percentage of people who would come out to a service if they were simply invited. And so this morning I want to talk uh, just a bit about what, what we have planned, a little bit about the nature of the church. And, um, and then over the next two weeks, we'll give you some, hopefully, some pointers and things of how to include people. My life was dramatically changed. My, the trajectory of my life was not going the right direction, and somebody invited me to church. Now, you know, the, the church has, um, has its issues, I know, because it's full of people. And people have issues, myself included. <clears throat> um, but, but it's one of the primary connecting places for people to meet Jesus, and uh, so we try to keep that as part of our theme every week, um, but, but there's a little bit of a balance to try to, because we have people at all different levels of growth and maturity, and, and it's always a bit of a trick to know, uh, do, we, do we keep it on the surface, or do we go deep, or how do, how do we do this? And um, Easter will be a little bit of a shorter service, and um, with the cringe factor will be very low, and we'll have a little thing in between, where we a little carnival in between for other people to meet other people, and so it should be a great morning. So, so what we want to so I, my my title this morning is "Be the Light and Invite." It's kind of nice that that you were praying about the light this morning, Melody, in your um, before we got here, because it's actually the, my specific theme this morning, and I'm going to try to help us understand m- more about that. What happens on Sunday mornings is um, we, we try to help people connect with God. Uh, we can't connect with God for you. That's, that's a personal deal. But we can, we can help you. And that's why the worship and the word and the way we design our mornings are to help you make a connection with, with God personally. And so, so I'll do my best to try and share what the Bible says every Sunday. I'll try and do that. We'll try and pick songs every week that will help point you to Jesus. And it's really important for us that when we are singing, that we include the name of Jesus. That's really important for us. We don't talk, try not to talk too much about him because he is Jesus. And so that's important that we sing about him and we use the name of Jesus because we're directed to do that. But, but Sunday mornings, um, uh, we try to remove things that would get in the way of you connecting with Jesus more than anything. So, so when I, if, if we're not careful, we can think that, that well, you know, they, they were a little bit off key or something. That shouldn't affect your worship. 
or what the pastor said, maybe what he, how, how he said it, or how he taught it, or you know, his, the way he dresses, or anything like that, shouldn't keep you from hearing the truth. That's your responsibility to, to hear the truth. And it's my responsibility to remove things that would keep you from hearing the truth or to keep you from entering into worship. So it's really important that you understand that Sunday mornings are really not about information transfer. Oh, but what, because what happens, if that were the case, it would simply be a mental exercise. And that doesn't change anybody. It, so, so what happens, though, is that we can teach what we know, but we impart who we are. That's why it's important that every one of the worship team has their lives right with God. So that it's not just singing, but it actually connects you to God. And you don't just sing, repeat words and sing. It's different, you know, that worship is different. And, and there's a difference between, between singing what a beautiful name it is and Sweet Home Alabama. There's a difference. And even when you come on a Sunday morning and we try to help you with the worship piece, there's a difference between just singing and worship. You can worship without any music. We use it. You can worship without music because worship is the posture of your heart. It's an internal job. And so, so I want to talk about what happens uh, on Sunday mornings and how we sort of set up our day and, and uh, maybe give you some idea of why we do what we do. Uh, Psalm 122 and verse 1. This is my text for this morning. And most of you know it off by heart. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is not a solo performance. When they say, I was glad when they said, well, I was glad. <laughs> First of all, I, church was not always a great experience for me. I wasn't always glad as a boy when they said, let's go to church. Like, oh. And it just didn't always quite connect with me. But we don't want to be the type of church that's like that. So we're doing our best. But you want to be able to invite people and you say, oh, you're going to have a great time this morning at church. And, and that, that somebody that comes say, I was glad when you said to me. And says, let us go because church is not, a, not for just going alone. You're welcome to come alone anytime you want. But it actually is meant to be including other people. And so Easter to us, when we plan our Easter service, we've been planning and praying for our Easter service now for a number of months. But whoever shows up on Easter morning, we want them to leave saying, I was glad that they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. <laughs> I was glad. That was a good time. So we want to try to make it a good time for everybody. But, but let's get it kind of straight. I'm not a comedian, and this isn't entertainment only. <laughs> <laughs> to try to, there's way better entertainers. Don't come to be entertained. And these are great musicians, but don't come to be entertained. That's not what we're designing here. We're designing an environment where we can, we can welcome the presence of God. We can dedicate a place to the presence of God. And you can actually connect with the presence of God. But that's your responsibility. I, I, I can direct you along the way. But there's a moment in your heart where you have to say, today is the day of salvation for me. My life was so changed, and I am so grateful. 
and you may be part of somebody's eternity. And, and we, we can never convince anybody to follow Christ, live a life of sacrifice, give up large percentages of your income. It's a little bit crazy. But it's one of the greatest things in life. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll begin to think that God came to make our lives carefree. He, he didn't promise that, but he did promise that he would make our lives meaningful. And, and so this is an important thing for us. I was just reading through um, the Bible like a lot of us are doing. And uh, I came across the uh, Numbers chapter 8 this week. <clears throat> and so I always, uh, we read the scriptures the way we are. And so I'm looking at this, and some of this stuff is a little bit it's a bit chewy, isn't it? Those of you who have just been through Leviticus, my goodness. <laughs> Oozing sores. Lord. Um, um, but, but what happens when we, we begin to read the word, um, you know, it, it is, there, there's nothing like, the, there's no book, there's, never has there been, nor will there ever be a book like the Bible. But people get confused when they don't read it with the author which is the Holy Spirit. And you start to read it with just as, a, as an intellectual exercise and it'll confuse you and it'll confound you and you'll say it has all these anomalies and all these incongruities and, but when you read it with the Holy Spirit, it's a completely different experience. Written over a period of over 14 centuries, uh, 66 different writers but one author. It's, there's nothing like it. It, it is, continues to be and has always been the best-selling book in all of history, and it's the only book that's been translated into every known language. And it has one central purpose, Jesus. And the amazing thing about it is that he was called the Word of God, yet he never wrote any, any words. People wrote about him. <clears throat> so we study it, <clears throat> and as we read through it, it, it moves, we move from just some information to revelation, and that revelation is meant to move us to transformation. And the church is, and the church family and the body of Christ are meant to be part of that developmental process. I, I'm, I would go as far as to say that you'll never develop properly without the house of God. You can, I mean, you can read the Bible by yourself and isn't that great? Yeah, but you won't mature. And I, I don't know why it all specifically works that way, but I know it does. And so, so that's my hypothesis on all of that, and I'm going to stick with it. Reading through Numbers, it talks about building the tabernacle. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and so Psalm, Psalm 22 was one of the ascension psalms of getting closer and closer to God, getting closer and closer. And the one, one part of that is I was glad when they said, let's, get to, let's go to the house of God. House of God is central in our development. So you read through this, and the first... Uh, thing we see about like the kind of like the house of God back there in Numbers chapter 8 is the tabernacle built in where they built in the wilderness. Uh, the tabernacle is an interesting thing because um, we don't have anything quite like it today. You and I now have become, it goes from the tabernacle to the temple to the church. Uh, you and I now effectively become uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us now. Um, but, it, but it was fascinating, it had two parts. The, 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 the tabernacle had two parts, the holy place and the holy of holies, and it was separated by a veil. There was no, no windows in the tabernacle. 
and there was three pieces of furniture. There was a table for bread, the golden altar for incense, and the golden lampstand. You see in Exodus chapter 40, um, how that God moved in and he consumed with fire the bread that was on the altar, but he didn't touch the lamps. So, well, who, who lit the lamps? Good question. Because it's part of the partnership of God with us. He required the priests to come in, trim the wicks, fill the lamps, to keep the lamp full of oil, and make sure that it was going. When you think of that whole process, because this is a picture of the church, it needs to have the light, because without windows, it would have been a bit dark in there, and they would have bumped in, hit their shin on the table of showbread, and the, it would have been, and, and he, how, did, how did they, like without a big lighter, how are they lighting the lamps? How's that happening? Here's what they did, they took fire from the altar. There should all, this should always be a place where we encounter the presence of God and things get illuminated. Life begins to make sense again. And, but it's also a place of refining and fire. <laughs> and so these dual natures and the multiple natures of God are always, should be experienced in the house of God. It's a beautiful picture of the church. Doesn't give any dimensions, but it gives a description. 75 pounds of solid gold, the lampstand with one central piece and then six others, three on either side. Uh, on the lamps. Uh, beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, if you read Hebrews chapter 9, you'll see that the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus. That's one of the most mind-blowing chapters in the New Testament for me because it connects all of the Old Testament symbology to Christ. And, uh, and I love that. J- Jesus, and then, and then in Revelation, it, it says, when you read that first chapter of Revelation, it's, it's a revelation of Jesus is what it is. And he talks about how that he's speaking. And as he's speaking, he said, then I turned to see who was speaking to me and I saw seven golden lampstands. What does he refer to? Read down further. He's referring to the seven, uh, this is the meaning of the seven stars in my right hand, the seven lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands uh, are the seven churches. A lampstand is meant to be a picture of the church. And then he says, you know, they need to be careful that I don't come and remove (laughs) the light and that's part of the priest's duty, if you can, and, and we all are like that function as priests, and we should come in here with our lamps burning. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, 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 right? Or give me oil for my Ford, keep me burning. But <clears throat> the, the, <laughs> the, the, the point is that, that this is meant to, to be illuminated by the presence of God. And, and I can't do that by myself. I can kind of, I can do my best to keep us filled but, you know, and do my best to keep the fire going as I can, but it's all of our responsibilities. So it's a beautiful picture, and, uh, and the church has a lampstand, and, and we see that Christ in the middle of the lampstand is a beautiful picture. Um, I love the church because, and two of the metaphors of the church is the bride of Christ and the family of God. These are, if, if, without a family, he says he placed the lonely in families. And part of the purpose of coming to church here is to connect and we try to facilitate those times of connecting when people can come together. Uh, this picture of the bride uh, cap- captures my heart as well. And we're all meant to make the bride beautiful. That's part of, we're, because we're in this beautiful time right now where the bride is being prepared. And then we're, t- we're told when we, when we get caught away that there'd actually be a wedding feast. But this season right now, this couple thousand years, 
which I think we're coming to an end of, when, when the, the, the bridegroom will come for his bride, and she will be without spot or wrinkle. And our part is the ironing and the washing <laughs> and, and the preparing of ourselves for eternity where we will be with him forever. So I love those metaphors and I love the pictures. And I, I think we live in a very, very exciting time. Um, the church is a place of development and maturity. And, and, and ultimately along the way, we, we, we have a, a, a little program called Next Steps. But many times we take the next step when we simply come and gather together. For you, the next step might be giving. For you, the next step might be uh, going from singing to worship. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this yet or not, but for some, moving your hands from being in your pockets to just going like this. That might be your next step, just in a response, right? Now this is getting radical. <laughs> That's like pure, full-on wild. But the church is meant to be a place of excitement, and you won't get out of it anything if you don't choose to put something into it. We partner to make it work. So when you read through Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 54, right in the middle is the, the Messianic chapter, and uh, we like to quote that a lot because the picture of the coming Christ. You see about the, where people were in bondage in Isaiah chapter 53. And he's leading them out, and he leads then uh, and as we come up to Easter, and then he says, like, who's believed this report anyway? It's a wild story. It's just wild. And, and then in, in, in there in chapter 53, it says, blessed are those people with beautiful feet who bring the gospel of good news, of peace and good news. And boy, do we ever need peace in our world? Well, it comes when people meet the Prince of Peace. And, and then he says, how beautiful are those feet? And then, and then towards the end of, uh, at the end of chapter 53, uh, Isaiah 54 starts with, whoever doesn't have any money, that's okay, let them come and drink. Whoever's thirsty, let them come and drink. This is an invitation to gather together with the body of Christ. And so if we're gonna be the light, I think it's important that we learn to invite and include others in what's going on. I think whenever my, my friends used to say, like, why are you inviting everybody to church? I said, I've, I just found myself a really nice thing. <laughs> I found an awesome thing. And I, want, I don't want anybody to miss out on it. It's like Kathy Gifford said the other day about, he said, if, if somebody found the cure to cancer, wouldn't you want to tell everybody? Well, this is good news. So, so the whole story uh, to me is a fascinating story. Uh, the church is a place where we are aware and we wake up to our identity, our purpose, and our calling, because it's a house of revelation. That's what it's meant to be. But technically, it is, it is the governing force on earth, but it's also a guiding force. When people come, I wonder what you're going to do next. And you come with a question on your heart, and you come and you worship, and you open up, and we prepared the place properly. You'll get answers. You, you'll get direction. And, and it's an awesome thing when that happens. Um, so, so the other thing is, as a bride, we leave our father and mother and we're joined to our wife. The leaving and the cleaving to the bride. And, uh, and, and just, like, just like marriage, it's not a choice one day, it's a choice every day. And it's the same with, we, we have pre-decided for the rest of our life, when Sunday comes around and there's a church in the air, we're going to church. And it's just our commitment. Every, every day, every week, we're going to church. It's an important thing for us. And I don't have to make that decision. Am I going to get married? I have to make a decision. I'm going to stay married. <clears throat> and so it is with the picture of the church. John chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, He who doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. 
That's, that's, a, that's a very convicting passage. It means that our relationship with the Lord is gonna determine the quality of our relationships. And, uh, and I think it's one of the most, most impactful things for us <clears throat> to teach our kids how to give and receive love. This is a, this is a critical quality. And, and our, as our relationship with the Lord develops, um, I believe that we get, we're able to have more higher quality relationships because God is love. So meaningful relationships. How does the world see God right now? Here's a news flash, it's through you and I. And us learning to carry the qualities of Christ, they get to see, get a picture of what God is like. A spiritual growth is a process of moving from independence, where we're independent. This, it's the opposite of growing up physically, where we move from dependence, we're totally dependent upon our moms and our dads to do everything for us, and don't I know it, my granddaughter's with me this week. Um, complete dependence to independence. Well, spiritual growth is the opposite of that. It moves from independence to dependence. Where as we grow up, we become more and more and more dependent on the Lord. And this is a massive migration, I find. And it's very humbling of, of depending on the Lord. So if, if we don't get this, so he says, if you remain in me and I, and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. If you don't get this, we will immaturely think that God exists simply to help us and our agenda rather than his agenda. So, the, so what happens along the way in our spiritual development, we hit these little speed bumps and, and we get hung up and we get stopped. And if we're not careful, do what Adam did, we'll blame the church for that. Your spiritual growth is your accountability and your responsibility. I was thinking how I need a speed bump between my brain and my mouth. This, all, I, this always happens. Grandpa says your ears will never get you into trouble. No, <clears throat> well, I need just a little speed bump sometimes to stop that thought before it gets out. Point number three, it's about getting, getting glad that we're part. Um, we've used for many years as our, uh, our brand, what would you call it, a brand promise, that the three things that we want to um, be known for is being fun, powerful, and relevant. I think that, and, and I don't mean fun in the sense of uh, entertaining, but, but I think that boring is a sin personally. Church should never be boring. I think that's terrible. And um, so it should be exciting, and we should be glad. Well, when you think of having an attractive church, think about being an attractive person. What's it take to be attractive? This is what we have to work on when we get married. Being, right? I know men sort of think, well, right? Got the trophy. I'm all good. But, but what's it take to stay attractive? Like for your, like, what does it take? And, the, and think of the qualities that attract you, you to people. And, I, and on faith, faith really is just about being positive. That being faithful and being full of faith. Like, it's just being positive. That's what it is. It's believing in a better tomorrow. That's what, and hopes actually pre, comes before faith. It, it, you need somebody around your house that's, talking good about tomorrow, not complaining and whining. I know that wine enhances things, but, but not W-H-I-N-E, that's awful. So, there, so being, being, being positive, it makes you be very attractive. I'll tell you one of the most attractive things for me, we talk about generosity and learning to give. If you've been around a generous person, you go, God, I wanna be around them. Not just so that they'll pay for the round, the ice cream, but you'd be around them, right? It's very, it's very attractive. We want to be generous. 
We find that there's a number of families that are struggling right now in our church. We want to get a bunch of, bunch of um, gift cards together, and instead of having a Christmas hamper, we want to have some Easter hampers. We want to give some stuff away. And, and um, you know, and being relevant. So it's so important for us that we can be relevant as well. Just make a list of things that, that you think are attractive. And be that. That's good enough. Like, selflessness is incredibly attractive for me. I don't know, like, Tim McGraw shouldn't have been the first one that said this. Just being humble and kind. That's very attractive. Have you been around someone who's so full of themselves, that's all they can talk about all the time, and you just want to go, <laughs> enough. I found that when you're quiet and you listen to people, they find you interesting. <laughs> have you noticed that? I know. So we can do this. Getting glad that we're part of something, being attractive. Here's what happens. Um, there's the, the secret of life is to take responsibility for your own relationships. And relationships take work. It's no different than your relationship with the bride of Christ. It takes work. Um, it takes work. The, the quality of your relationships probably are based on two things more than any, anything else. And that, that's about your relationship can only develop to the extent that you know more about your partner and or you trust them more. Relationships all move at the speed of trust. And when trust is broken, it has to be re-earned. Well, shouldn't they? No. If you broke it, you've got to earn it. Trust is earned. It's not given. And so in a relationship, it's the same in the relationship, our relationship with the church. It takes time. We're, relationships are... a. a uh, they're the most rewarding things in the world. If I were to say, what are the three most, if, think, think, think to yourself, what are the three most meaningful times that you've had in your life? I can almost guarantee you that there were people involved. Tell me also that what are the three most painful things in your life? I can almost promise you that there were people involved. <laughs> there's nothing like the church. When it's working, there's nothing better. And when it's not working... There is nothing worse. But it's the same with families. When they work and they heal and they nurture and you feel welcome and you, have, you listen and there's laughter in the home and, and there's love in the home, there's nothing better. When it gets toxic and controlling and dangerous, there's nothing worse. So we, do, we believe in the family of God. Um, getting to know him, getting to know Jesus requires honest communication, interaction. It requires, it requires lots of work. And, uh, and I just love 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. I think this is one of the most powerful passages because salvation has to do with not just one moment, not just an event, but it's a process in your life. This is still the day of the, your next step in your salvation. I don't mean, not eternity. Eternity gets settled in a moment. But your development, it takes our whole life. First Peter's, uh, 2 Peter 1, 4, it says he's given us all we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. We get everything we need for life by, by getting to know Christ better. And, as you, and, and there's so much to him. I'm discovering things this week and, and meditating on, the, on Jesus as the light has been, no pun intended, very illuminating for me. A few months ago, it was about Jesus as the door. I'm just so intrigued by him being the door into, and, and, and then I have to walk through that door. I'm very intrigued by that. So 
Anyway, the more we get to know him, the exchange of life is through our personal relationship and it's not an exchange of information primarily. Um, so we want, we want Sunday morning, uh, we wanna make everybody's experience on Sunday very inspiring. This isn't a Bible school. If you, you, if you, you know, enroll in Bible school if you wanna to go to Bible school. This is not what it's meant to be. This is meant to be inspiring, uplifting, and giving help to the helpless and hope to the hopeless. For the unchurched. We'll always be a church for the unchurched. I don't like when people say it's a church for the unchurched primarily because then once you come, it's no longer for you. Like, I don't like, like that idea. It's always for you. It needs to always be for us. The de-church, the distance, the over-church. But uh, what we will promise is we'll promise we'll do our best to help you connect with God. We'll do our best. Here's some qualities about the bride that makes her beautiful. Um, church is meant to be... Um, Prayerful. It, it's meant to be. So when you come, here's what's going to happen on Sunday mornings. We're going to pray. Ah, we're not going to like spend long times, uh, you know, stomping and frothing and stuff like that. But we're, we're, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to have the word. We're going to have worship. And there's going to be some prayer. And, and hopefully you don't forget that just times of interacting with other people is as important out there as the things that happen in here connecting with other people. That's really important. I, like, I believe that prayer is the breath of the church. We, we need to be accepting and welcoming at all times because love never fails. We want to be highly relational. But there's a, there's a real delicate balance for us um, where, where we try to acknowledge people but not embarrass them. That's tricky because everybody has their own personal we used to have people, okay, is this your first time here? Stand up. We'd like to point you out and embarrass you. We quit doing that. It was a great gift that we exercised for many years, but it's just, nah, we don't do it anymore. So if you're here for the first time, we really would not like to, we don't want to, but we want to acknowledge you sometime. And we're not that big of a church where you can really hide, but you kind of can if you leave early, come late. You can kind of wiggle in, wiggle out. You can kind of do that, but we'd like to be a friendly place. So I'd like to ensure that you get a warm handshake and a warm cup of coffee, and you get a little bit challenged. A couple little ouch points, a little bit. An invitation to move a little further. We need to have empowering leadership. That means that we have, we're open-handed and empower people and let them try stuff. Uh, we need to have, be a place that has gift-oriented ministry. That means that based on the gifts that God has given you, that you, have, that you are in the right place doing the thing that you love. Not everybody's meant to do everything. All the body parts are important, right? That little, um, there's lots of little body parts that we have. Um, I don't even know what a spleen does, but apparently they're important. So, you know, every, every part's important. We like to find, get, put people in their places. Passionate spirituality. Um, for, for us, there should be, we should be excited about our faith. This is a place where the life of God should be flowing. And so, so it, should, it should be a place where, where, where it's somewhat celebratory. So when people do stuff or when Jesus is just, you know, he's moving among, we clap our hands. Think about that. I, and you know, when someone, something just happened or I said, what a great worship thing. And we want to clap our hands. And you think, isn't that crazy? Yeah, maybe until it's about you. But we like to, be, we like to celebrate people. I think that's what Jesus does. He says there's lots of excitement in heaven. <coughs> do you know that? when somebody gets touched. So we want to be excited as well. Uh, evangelism, um, it's not a real strength for me, but I had a great opportunity. We are praying now in all of our D groups and our small groups for people who are not part of a church and who, but who are in our world. Um, 
And it, should, it shouldn't be that big of a step when they step out of, their, out of their world into this world. It shouldn't be a huge, huge step. But my, I, my, my neighbor was stuck this week. And, uh, you, you know, he said, Can, I need a hand. I'm stuck. And, you know, I, I grabbed the truck and hooked on a tow rope. And I pulled him out. And he says, neighbor, I love you. I just think, I said, I, I love you too. And they realized that that's Paul. And I don't say I love men, like, just in the back alley to too many people. But, but I feel I'm... <laughs> just about went and gave him a hug, thought I was in church. Um, yeah, that would have been weird, but, but he, um, yeah, we're moving ahead on that relationship. I pray for Paul all the time, and, and, and his mom, after his dad passed away, you know, and we went to the funeral, and I got another Paul. I'm surrounded by Pauls. I could use a couple Peters in my life. Anyway, I think that we need to be reaching out for people, and that's how we're going to end the service in a few moments. We have to have life-giving structures. When you come in, uh, to the parking lot, those parking attendants are, should be happy. We've expected you be here. We, we pray for everybody. Our church starts at 845 with prayer. And we pray for you before you get here, everybody. And so then we're happy when we see you, some, some a little happier than others. Uh, we, we, you know, we want to have a good experience. The washrooms are always clean Saturday at night. So you have a clean washroom. Is that important? Well, when people come to your house, don't you clean the washrooms out? I go, I do before we get in, and then Kelly goes in and really cleans them. My, my standard of sanitation is lower than hers. But we try to get the lights right, the sound right. We try to, that's what we try to do. Uh, small groups, we, try, we have all kinds around affinities, around geography. Um, we try to be open and honest and transparent with stuff. We, we encourage inspiring participatory worship where we, come on everybody, let's lift our hands. If you don't want to lift your hands, you don't need to. I mean, you don't need to do anything you don't want to do. That would be, that's the antithesis of love. No, we, love doesn't force anybody to do anything. But the invitation is there. And we want to be biblically based. Our interpretation of relevant life-giving has to be, you know, filled with the Word of God. I liked N.T. Wright who said 20% of my theology is off, but I just don't know which 20% it is. I'd be the same. I'm working it out. Eugene Peterson says that, that, that systematic theology is an oxymoron. I think he's right. Here's what I want us to do as we wrap up this morning. I want to pray for Easter. It's, it's, the, it's one of the easiest times that people will respond to the gospel and they'll show up at a service is Easter time. And I hope that you have somebody on your heart this morning and I want to pray for those people. And that maybe you'd have the opportunity to have an easy invite. Just invite them to church. We'll do the rest. So would you all just stand with me, please? As we, it's, a, it's a sort of a simple thing. <clears throat> But the point is this, is that we participate with the Lord. And as a royal priesthood, we've got the lampstand, but we need people to light the candles. And now he says that we're, the, we're like the light of the world, and that now is resident within us. So I'm just going to pray that God would um, show you, um, make it that, that somebody you can invite to Easter. And we won't embarrass you. It's going to kind of be like this. We're not going to dumb down the service, but we're not, we're, not, we're not going to have like a revival meeting. We're going to have a good time together with sermon that makes sense, worship that's inspiring, and a little carnival where you can pet little animals if you want. It's only little animals. <clears throat> okay. Father, I thank you that we are now effectively the light and the salt of the earth. And that you put people around us. Statistically, it seems like lots of people would come if they were just invited. 
So Lord, the people that are in our lives, in our, in our spheres of influence, I ask that you would make us, that you would intentionally place them in front of us and say, and give us the right phrases so it's not kooky and strange and give us the right phrases. That's just a natural, why don't you come with me to church tomorrow or something, something like that. I think you'd enjoy it or something. Just give us, help us to be incarnational with your principles in your life. And so Lord, the people that are on our hearts right now and those faces that are popping up, not just neighbors, people at work, that you would give us the courage to be the light and invite. Father, I thank you for somebody who invited me. I'm a life that's been changed because someone just invited me. All the dialogue around the kitchen table didn't do it, but when I came to the house of God, I was so glad when they said, let's go. I'm going with you. Let's go to the house of God. Father, I thank you for this awesome church that we get to lead. Thank you for your presence that surrounds us and guides us. And thank you for your purpose that's inspired within us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Through those doors walk the light of the earth. God bless you. Go and invite somebody to church in a couple of weeks. You're released. Go and change your world. Amen. <laughs>